Hello and welcome to another episode of Fight on Montana, where we take a deep dive into everything Grizzly Athletics. Uh, I am your host, Adam Healy, with my host, former Grizzly, Angel Villanueva. Before we get into our episode today, we would like to remind the listeners to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts at. That helps us out a lot. Also, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, three ways to do that. You can get us on Instagram, our Facebook page, and our Instagram at Fight on Montana as well. So let's get into it. We have the great pleasure in having head coach of the Grizzlies women's soccer team, Chris Sitowicki. No, Chitowitzki. Chitowitzki. Oh, man, I <laughs> yeah. I got into my head. I got into my oh, head. Oh, you were so close. I was seeing oh. if you were going to deliver on that one. See, I did it better <laughs> off. I got I got gotten to my head. So, man, we're we're glad to have you. Uh, thank you for spending the time with us. You know, the busy schedule that you have. We just wanted to kind of uh, get you on here, uh, spread the word ab- out about the women's soccer team, which you guys have been doing amazing, and we're super proud of you guys thank and you. Uh, and the ladies, and just kind of give you some more exposure uh, to all the great things that you guys are doing. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So coach, give us a little background about yourself and, you know, up to the point of where you're at now with the University of Montana. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my first name isn't even Chris. It's actually Krzysztof Konrad Chitovitsky. That's my full name. Wow. Yeah. I'm not going to get that one right. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I legally had to change it to Chris a handful of years ago because nobody could actually pronounce my name. So (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that actually kickstarts us back in Poland because I was born in Poland in early 80s. So that was towards the end of the communist regime at the time. Um, the whole country was under martial law. So there's food rationing, there's diaper rationing, wow. all that stuff going on. My dad's working with the military. My mother is a protester against the government. So there's this you know, fight wow. going on. And they're thinking to themselves, we just don't want to raise a family in this type of place. So let's get out of here. So you have this 21 and 23 year old or the child that decide that they're going to escape Poland and move to Italy. Um, why not? And live in a refugee camp there for a year. So we ended up escaping Poland, living in Italy for a year. Like I had mentioned, my dad's sister at the same time moves over to South Africa and says, you guys should come here. This is a very happy place. And so why not? So we end up in South Africa, which is racially torn and not exactly the most utopian society on the face of the planet at the time. So that took about five years for my parents to say again, hey, let, let's move out of here. We just don't, we, we're not enjoying the culture and everything that's happening here. It's just not safe and it's not friendly. So we're going to move on again. Um, and then tried to go to Canada, but that consulate was closed over lunch. So they just went across the street to the Australian one. And that's what ended up getting us to Australia. And so lived all over Australia for a little bit, up north, down south, um, started playing soccer there. And then when I turned 18, moved to the States. and played in college until I lost my eligibility because I played semi-professionally back in Australia. And per the NCAA, you can't do that stuff. So that's what got me into coaching. And coaching's moved me from Pennsylvania, Minnesota, North Dakota, and now here to Montana. So that's the short version of it. And I'm sure I can dive into more stories as we go. Wow. wow. Was English, uh, I'm sure, obviously, English probably wasn't your first language? No, it was actually Polish, yeah. Polish. How many languages do you speak? So I speak Polish, can somewhat understand Italian, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember what your life was kind of like in, in Poland? Or was it like, hey, you just kind of remember it at the age of six kind of on? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much from there. So South Africa onwards is where I have most of my memories. 
Mm-hmm. And how'd you like living in South Africa? Like you personally? Um, I was young at the time. So for me, uh-huh. it seemed fine. You know, my, my dad ended up going. So my dad is one of those super genius people. Um, mm-hmm. And so he ended up working with IBM. So it went from refugee camp to having nothing to all of a sudden he's getting a really nice contract with IBM. And all of a sudden life was, was decent. Um, so I, I just remember school being okay and making friends and it was fine. But at the same time, I remember our home getting broken into multiple times and stuff like that. But that mm-hmm. was just that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And as an adult, have you have you went back to visit these places? Well, oh, I have not been back to Australia since I left mm-hmm. <laughs> back in 2002. Yeah. Um, I haven't been back to South Africa. I have traveled to Europe multiple times. Um, so that's been enjoyable and definitely mm-hmm. want to force my kids into doing that because I think it's important to see the world. Mm-hmm. Does your mom and dad still over, live over in South Africa or they live in yeah. the States? My, my parents ended up getting separated once I left. And so my, my mother is in Australia and my brother is there as well. And my dad is back in Poland. So he's a uh, recovering alcoholic and nothing really helped him until he moved back to the mother country and lived on a farm working with horses as part of his rehab. And that's kind of what ended up getting him out of it. So that's awesome. So it sounds like you've been through a lot of trials and tribulations just kind of growing on, uh, growing up. And I'm sure you can really speak to that in a lot of different ways. But how do you think that fueled you as, as you know, kind of a young player? Oh, wow. Um, immensely. <laughs> mm-hmm. One for, for me, soccer was always my relief. It was mm-hmm. just my escape from everything. It, if it was tension at home, I just had to get away. Academically, I was an average student. It was just my pure happiness was being on the field. I Mm -hmm. loved playing soccer and all I wanted to do was be a professional soccer player. So, Mm -hmm. um, and all that stuff that I went through for me, it was just, I ended up being almost an individualistic type player, somebody who was very comfortable being alone. And if you study my background, it's purely because of that. It's, Mm -hmm. we moved all the time. What's the point of having friends if you're just gonna move away at some point? So I learned to rely on myself and be very self-sufficient from a very early age. Uh, just mm-hmm. because that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. And you, kind of, sorry, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, go ahead. Um, well, you know, I, I'm a teacher, so I, I see um, kids kind of go in and out. A- as an adult now, you know, uh, I know I have kids, and I, I know you have kids as well, Chris. Um, how is it the what, what you went through as a kid? How has that fueled you as a father? Oh, wow. Immensely. <laughs> um, really just, I, I, I look back on my experiences and my, my parents were awesome parents and they always took care of me um, and my brother. And so I just pour as much love as I can into my family as possible. But then at the same time, I don't want to move around as much as I was moved around because I know how many issues that caused me at certain points down the road. Mm-hmm. especially when it came to like trusting people, this and that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I feel like we found this amazing place in Missoula and it's a place that I want to raise my kids. And when I have conversations with my dad and he's like, continues to remind me that he was chasing contract after contract, job after job to get enough money to keep us mm-hmm. happy. But that took him away so much that it destroyed the family fabric. And he's like, don't, don't be chasing new opportunities and things because I can see how happy you are in Montana with Missoula and just just be happy and be there for your kids and don't make the mistakes that I did. Well, that's awesome. That's absolutely. When did, you, yeah. uh, when did you realize kind of as a player transitioning into the coaching lifestyle that that was a reality for you? Because obviously for me, you know, for me, I thought I was invincible, indestructible. You know, yeah. my kind of playing career was based on kind of the same thoughts. I wanted to be a professional player. 
you know, and as soon as injury kind of hit me in my personal life, you know, mm -hmm. that's when it kind of clicked for me that, okay, you know what, maybe this isn't, this isn't it for me and who yeah. I am outside of soccer, you know? So when did yes. that kind of happen for you? Oh, wow. It was when I was in the States and I lost my eligibility and I had the meeting with the AD and she said, have you ever been paid to play? And of course, not knowing NCAA rules, I'm like, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> As in everybody. <laughs> well, that's the end of your career. I'm like, oh, thanks. So, um, and just having conversations at that point, because all I ever wanted to do was play and it was gone. And I don't know, what am I supposed to do with my life? And the guy who had recruited me and did this with a lot of players ended up losing his job because of it, partially. Oh, wow. um, and he opens up a club just down the road and like, he, he lives on the outskirts of a farm. So he buys a barn and he turns the barn into this indoor facility, lays some turf in it, and is just recruiting the kids from the area and just coaching him. And he keeps asking me to come out. He's like, I'll pay you money. No, I'll pay you money. No, I, I don't want to coach. Just leave me alone. And then one day he's like, here, just come out one time, try this out. And I think you'll really like it because I think you're supposed to do this. And I, I remember driving out there in my 1991 white Jeep Wrangler with a soft top. And it's just a crap car and it's falling apart <laughs> and running that session and driving back being like, okay, I thought I loved playing and nothing was ever going to replace that. But this is exactly what I should be doing with my life. And I loved running that training session. And that's what got me into coaching that very day. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. That, that, and what that's kind of training? Transition. Yeah. What Go training ahead, center were you running? Wasn't it oh. like a development Olympic development kind oh, of? Oh no, no, there? this was back in Pennsylvania. This is STN. Okay. This is the soccer training network. I, I don't even know if the club's even still around now. It was okay. literally just nothing, and we were, we were not even coaching high level players. I don't care. I'm just coaching, mm -hmm. and it felt so right. It's mm -hmm. awesome. So, what, what were some of the learning curves that once you started and you kind of realized that okay, cash. Coaching is my passion. You know, yeah. when did it really kind of start to click for you? Was it a long kind of tough uphill battle to coach or did it really just come naturally for you? No, it's just one of those things that came naturally. Hmm. And I feel like when you find that, you should really hold on to it. And that's what I'm trying to help my kids discover. I, for years, I thought my kids are going to play soccer. They have to. <laughs> and then now that I have kids, I'm like, I just really pay attention to what they like. And I try to yeah. put them into that. My daughter loves writing stories. And she loves awesome. doing art and she loves dancing and ballet. And it's so uh, if that's what you love to do, then let's have you do that. I'm not going to force him to something you don't want to do. And she's very much as a seven year old willing to tell me I'm not doing this. And so <laughs> she'll stick it to me when she has to. But um, it came naturally. And learning curve is just being figuring out how, how things operate in the NCAA, how things operate within a team culture. And how do I make this the best version of a program it can be in the environment that I'm in? So that's what I've had to learn when it's come to motivating people and connecting with people and sharing my ideas. That's the piece that has come naturally. That's awesome. So, you know, with um, the the parameters of the NCA and being different than back in the, the European countries and stuff like that, has that been the biggest adjustment, getting used to those regulations and what you can do as a coach and what you can't? Yeah, uh, and at first I also thought it was funny that we were playing a national anthem before a game. Why, why do you do this all the time? And why does the clock run in the opposite direction than it normally runs in? <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. But And at first when you come over, you're very protective of the environment that you're from. So you have this almost arrogance of where I'm from, it's better. But you, you can't have that. At some point you've got to assimilate into the country that you're in, right? And be grateful for the environment that you're in. And just, yeah, it took me a while as a student athlete to accept the way things were, but as a coach, it's completely fine. Yeah. You just get used to it. And it's, 
as in any business, you got to know the, the structures and the limitations and the rules and operate within them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, what your background has been, has that kind of helped you in recruiting players maybe that have had those similar backgrounds or, or not similar, but kind of close kind of backgrounds and kind of relating to them? Yeah. When it comes to the values of the program and what we believe in, I have a set of values that I believe in and I share those with our student athletes and their parents. And it's things that I just feel like a normal and I recruit based on them first and foremost. And the families look at that and say, yeah, we believe in similar things and we would like you to continue on the process of developing our daughter to make sure she doesn't come home after college and, you know, live with us. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I feel that like sounds, it's really that sounds like it's an immense amount of pressure to be really kind of be responsible for the development of, you know, these yeah. really young players, you know, they're in a really kind of vulnerable stage. I remember I was too, you know, so mm -hmm. what were a couple of things that you really kind of, I guess, try to impress on them. Yeah, um, it, it is a very vulnerable stage. And you've got to understand the psychology of human development too and where they are in their life cycle. And so assuming that, oh, this is an adult, she's ready to do everything. No, I, I again, studying history and being just a connoisseur of anybody who's successful in life, people need mentors. People need mentorship and guidance, especially when it gets to college because there's too many temptations and too many just crazy things you can get into. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to provide that. And that's exactly what I say to the parents. It's you have raised them to this level with the values that you have. I'm going to share with you what I want to do here. And if it just coincides with the, raise that, that, with the way that you're raising your daughter, then perfect. Let's continue this. However, I'm going to do this in a pressure cooking environment of Division One soccer where I'm also trying to win as much as I possibly can. And so is your daughter. So I squeeze her four years. I'm going to make her the best version of herself. But please understand that there are times that she's going to be drowning and it's going to be complicated and it's going to be hard. And there are times that her teammates will help her up. I'll help her up. But other times we'll just swim. She figured out watching her to make sure that she's all right. But it's that's the best part of the job is raising the people that after four years who leave are just ready to do whatever they want to do with their lives. So what are those values that you adhere to that you tell those parents um, these are the values of the program. Yeah. So, um, changing all the time. No, I wouldn't say all the time. I'm always tweaking them. Right. So for instance, one of them is joy it used to be passion. So passion to me as a human being is like, let's go running really hard, get sweaty, do a thousand pushups and run ourselves into the ground. Um, that's also viewed by some people as intensity. And honestly, for two years here, I was starting to burn myself out because I was so intense with the way that I was approaching things. And I'm sitting on a plane one day listening to a podcast with Steve Kerr. And he's talking about how with the Golden State Warriors, they believe in joy. And you've got to be joyful. And you've got to love what you do. And I'm like, okay, I need to replace passion with joy and remember why I love this game so that I don't burn myself out within 10 years. Because I'm going too hard all the time here. So joy is one of them. Uh, humility, honesty, relationships, hard work, and persistence. And those are just things that we believe that if you have those, you, you're going to be a successful human being. So, you know, earlier, maybe backtracking two minutes, you said that you kind of keep an eye out for the study of history and just kind of, you know, kind of really follow those trends. You know, uh, I remember listening to a Mike Tyson podcast or, and uh, even just, a, you know, kind of rant that he went on after rink. And he says, you know, I study, you know, war, you know, that's yeah. really my thing. Do you kind of have, you know, philosophers that you kind of really think of and kind of really study? 
Yeah, I tried that Sun Tzu Art of War thing for a while, and it just didn't click in the way that I needed it to. But mm -hmm. I'll study, honestly, John Wooden, Herb Brooks, anybody. Nick, Nick Saban is my big study right now, because how do you win forever like Nick Saban wins, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And I'm looking at that stuff. I've gone through Coach K. I've gone through, um, who else was that? Tony Dungy, as well as all the soccer coaches. But And then you pick up. The annoying thing about reading for me is I'll read about three pages and all of a sudden there are all these things that come up that I've noted. I'm like, crap, I have to read that book at the same time. And now I've picked <laughs> up that book and now I'm digging into that. And it's, yeah. and, and anything too, even successful businesses, you look at the Nikes and the Googles and all that stuff. And I've really, I'll program rather than being, a lot of programs do this. They'll bring you in and we'll sit down as a team and we'll like hold hands and we'll talk about what we think the values of the team should be this year. I prefer the Nike Google approach, which is, when Nike, this is how what we do, this is how we do it, this is how we plan on making a difference in the world. Do you want to be a part of this? And people say, yeah, that's freaking awesome. I would love to follow that vision. I want to be a part of your company right now. Same thing with us. This is what we believe in as a soccer program. This is how we're going to make you better. And this is what we're achieving right now. Do you want to be a part of it? Let's go. And that yeah. comes again just through studying companies and people. And the themes are there, right between the lines of anybody successful. It's the same values that I've put out. It's the same purpose that I have. I just do it in my way. So, you know, you, you mentioned the balance. I, I have two kids myself, and uh, I'm constantly trying to find that balance between work, home, and, and my passions as well. What do you do, and, and how hard is it to you to have that balance? Oh, it's extremely hard. But I, I'm lucky to be... Again, know the level that you're at and know how things operate. I was a Division three head coach with like a $5,000 budget for multiple assistants. So people could be there for me just during training sessions. That's about it. Um, and I have to be the academic advisor. And I also have to work hockey and softball games. And it was insane. I was getting burnt out there completely after six years. And then I go work at a Division one major program as an associate head coach. And it's oh, wow, there's multiple assistant coaches getting paid good money. If we don't have the money of the Power Five, so we don't have to be out recruiting every single day, every single weekend. And the balance at the mid-major level for soccer is absolutely perfect, in my opinion, because I can raise my kids. And when Power Five things come along, I just I can't look at them because I know I've seen my mentors and people that I know go through that level, and I know people who are trying to escape it because you can't raise your family there very successfully. And yeah. if anything, I just want to be a good dad first and foremost. So, yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You spoke a little bit about um, mentorship. That's something that I hugely believe in. Mm -hmm. I consider myself extremely lucky. Everything I have uh, today is really through the sense of meeting people yeah. that I really kind of align with, you know, and that I look up yes. to. And, and I'm always learning. You know, a lot, some of my biggest mentors are just people that I met on the street. You know, mm -hmm. so kind of in your personal life, if you can speak to it, you know, who are some of your mentors, whether it be well known or just kind of in your personal life and some of the things that they've taught you? Yeah, I mean, so some people you can't meet in person, right? So you got to read their mm -hmm. books and you got to mm -hmm. get things secondhand, thirdhand from them and just learn as much as you can that way. Um, mm -hmm. So I do that a lot. But personal mentors, I would say when I first got into the college game, Jim Stone was the head coach at Bemidji State University. I was his grad assistant. And Jim is the perfect family man. I mean, he's wonderful at raising his kids. He's a very religious guy, uh, loves his wife, loves his program, had this perfect balance. And I, I loved how he did that and stole so many ideas from him in that aspect. And then 
moved on to a different job and I saw other coach. Um, I would say Greg Holker is one of them. He was the men's coach at Augsburg and Holker's intense, like oh. full on intense, frightening. And it's so <laughs> cool to be around with somebody around someone with that energy and that passion for something. And I could never hit that level of intensity coaching women, but I love the way that he did it. And I saw him mature through his process of I'm pushing it too hard. This is really, I'm losing my balance. I'm losing my family time and I'm losing my health at times because I'm pushing it so hard. So seeing him go through that process was massive. But I would say those are two key people that I've learned a lot from. And then there are many, many others along the way too. That's cool, man. That's awesome. So- you, you mentioned you, you went from Bemidji State to um, Augsburg. And I believe that – isn't that a, a all-girl university? Oh, St. Kate's is where I worked as a head coach. Kate's. Yeah, it's okay. an all-women's private institution where – yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would have been a hard kind of getting used to. It's a hard sell, yeah, yeah, but you can do it. Yeah. So you went from your first year one and seventeen there to that next year being nine and eight. Uh, that is a huge turnaround. How how did you turn around that program so quickly? Let's be honest here. Okay, we wouldn't have been one and seventeen if not for this random event that occurred. Okay, so I remember it's two days before preseason. I'm in the building. I'm talking to the SID, and my phone rings. So this is in 2011, right before the one and seventeen season. And I talked to the goalkeeper, freshman goalkeeper was coming into me. It was legit. And she tells me she's not coming anymore because she's pregnant. Oh. Okay. Well, I, what do I do now? I, I do have one goalkeeper, but she was going to be like a backup, backup, backup. Great kid, but she has to be the starter right now because everything else is falling apart. So we, we, we had to play her. And the one game that we kept close against Gustavus, I talked to Mike Stalick, who was like a 40-year veteran. And he talks to me after, and he's like, Listen, Chris, if you just had a goalkeeper, you would have beat us today. You just don't have one. If you find yourself one, you'll be completely fine in this league. And so went hunting, found a goalkeeper, and by then had recruited my own players because at the Division three level, it really is a year by year. Unlike here, I'm about two to three years out of my recruiting cycle. Found the right players, the right people first and foremost who are just hungry to prove a lot of people wrong. That's what we needed there. We needed people with a chip on the shoulder. And found them and all of a sudden it all just flipped and that just started this entire journey for me was that moment right there that's awesome you said you mentioned chip on your shoulder kind of reflecting back to you know you as a player do you feel like you played with a lot of intensity a lot of chip on your shoulders or were you just one of those guys that was just kind of happy to just be there you know that really embraced every moment they got no there's always been a fight in there yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. I, as much as I want to enjoy, the, the enjoyment comes from the most intense fight possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my teams play that way at times too, just because I that's mm-hmm. what I want to see out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, coaching um, women, and, and how difficult is that to get used to? And, and what are some things that you kind of have to change as a coach to be the best coach for them in that circumstance? Yeah, just like you got to learn about the business that you're in to understand how things operate so that you can best serve and succeed in that environment, you got to understand the people that you're with. And so I've always just been fascinated with psychology too of human beings. So 
how are women different to men? And you got to figure it out. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Cool book. You should read it, right? <laughs> um, but it's just that that's that's the initial insight into it. And you start digging into it. And then you just, if you pay attention as a coach, too many coaches have ego involved. It's me telling you what I'm doing versus I'm serving you. So I really need to understand the two of you and how you think and operate to get the most out of you. So I'm really going to try to pay attention. And that means I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I will not listen when I should listen. I'll tell you things in a way that you might not like it. But as long as our communication is good and you're open with me and you tell me what you like and don't like, we're going to improve and it's only going to get better. And if you notice, the teams here always peak towards the end because that's when we figure mm -hmm. each other out. That's when mm -hmm. everything's clicking for us. That's how in 2018 we go on this run towards the end. I know that's one of your questions at some point, but it, it happens because we figure each other out. And I understand how to coach them as people. I didn't yeah. know half of their names when I first got in here. But <laughs> um, you, you need to, it just takes communication and time and paying attention. And it's this thing with kids when raising honest. Just pay mm -hmm. attention to them. Exactly. You've been very fortunate in the sense of to be around really strong teams. You know, that's obviously yeah. a credit to your coaching. And that's a huge credit to, you know, just the, the players that you're bringing in. You know, walk me kind of through that the scenario where you kind of were started to know that you were a really good coach and you guys won a couple games, followed by a couple couple championships. Just walk me through those emotions. What does that feel like? Huh. Um, I don't know sometimes. I still don't know what it feels like. I'll be honest mm -hmm. with you. I sit there and I'm just very grateful that's happened, mm -hmm. first and foremost. But I don't, I don't know how to feel about it sometimes. I'm always very comfortable being in an underdog situation. Um, where I'm having to fight at somebody. I'm a fan of Greek tragedies where things fall apart at the end. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's so close. And now all of a sudden, and I, I've tried to talk with Travis to cure about this. Travis, what's it like to be at the top of the mountain? And now you have to fight everybody that's beneath you and keep them away because I'm not used to that scenario. And so about three weeks back, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how am I supposed to learn about this, speaking of mentorship. So I'm like, well, who's really good in women's soccer? Well, University of North Carolina. Anson Dorrance has won like 21 national titles. Well, I called him about 10 years ago on a whim just because I was like really into heart rate monitor technology. And I'm like, well, I'm going to email Anson Dorrance, the greatest women's soccer coach ever. And he said, call me. So I did. And I kept his phone number. So I texted him three weeks back. I'm like, you don't remember me whatsoever. But I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to stay at the top and fight people off. I need your help here. And he was nice enough to return the text. And... He has me doing an assignment for him now. And when I'm done with that, we get total access to the North Carolina program of how he does everything. And I'm going to wow. try to fly out there and meet with him as soon as I can just to, mm -hmm. I just got to finish my assignment first. That's mm -hmm. awesome. How thrilling yeah. is that to have an opportunity to know somebody that's just, you know, really so powerful in the soccer world? Yeah. yeah it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. cool, but it's also humbling <laughs> to, to know that somebody like that, that that's how people act. Sometimes people say you shouldn't get too close or you shouldn't get to know your heroes because you'll see that they're, you know, just human and bad things and this and that. But Anson's a legit human being. Mm -hmm. And his legacy is not look how many titles I won. I, his legacy ultimately is going to be look how many coaches I've inspired to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm learning from him. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. This, this whole this success has come very quickly here, and I'm grateful for it. And sometimes I'm scared of it because mm -hmm. it's never come this quickly but at mm -hmm. the same time i believe in the methods and i'm confident in the methods and now it's just trying to replicate it over and over again mm -hmm. learning from people who have done it forever that's awesome you know, dude. 
you, you know, you went from North Dakota. You, you spent a, a associate <laughs> head coach there for one year. Yeah. And um, you then got the uh, job at University of Montana. You know, what were some things that you were like, hey, that's a program I want to go to? What were some of the things that kind of attracted you to this area? Uh, the surroundings. I was working at North Dakota, and Chris Logan has me work on a scouting report from Montana. So I started putting it together, whatever, we're playing Montana. They seem nice. Um, flying in over the mountains, I'm already taking videos and taking pictures. And as soon as we landed, texted my wife of like, you, you won't believe this place. It's one of the most beautiful <laughs> places I've seen in my life. Um, and then I remember FaceTiming her from the Target parking lot being like, look at the mountains. <laughs> She's like, it's Target, Chris. I'm like, you don't get it. There's something about this place. I want to be here. And it's the only trip I've ever taken. We always do like some sort of team activity downtown. I never buy anything. I'm just a frugal person. But I went into a souvenir store, and for some reason, I can never remember the name of it, but I bought this little Missoula magnet, and I stuck it on the fridge And when I got back home to North Dakota. And within a few months, the job opened, and there you go. Here I am. So one of those believers that things happen for a reason. And I just fell in love with Missoula and the feeling of Missoula. And the people that I recruit feel the same way. They land, and they instantly feel it. And I've got them hooked at that point. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like even growing or as a kid, soccer was kind of that calling for you? You know, you knew you were going to have a life in this? Yes. Yeah. Nothing else. I don't want to do anything else. And I see the same thing in my son. <laughs> and it's annoying sometimes because he's five and all he wants to do is play, 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 play. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I just need some time. But I need a second to settle down here from work. Yeah. But he's nonstop. He's even got a little set of figurines that he plays with on the ground. He understands formations. He gets tactics. He understands oh, wow. spacing better than like 12 year olds. He's, <laughs> he gets it. He's a junkie just like I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, that's funny. And it's so it's it's even funny because you sit here and I'm sure you see yourself in him and yes. <laughs> practically every way. You yes. know, and you just sit here and you're like, oh man, this this is how I am. Is this me? Yes. You know, this is how I've yeah. always been. You <laughs> yeah. know? Am I this annoying to my wife? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, you know what man, Chris, you, as go ahead, Adam. Sorry. sorry. You you are totally busy. I have a seven and a two-year-old, so I, I feel your pain. Uh, seven and five that you're nonstop busy. So, yeah, but they get along now. So I'm, that, I'm happy. They're even good. in the same room and they hang out together. They hate each other sometimes, but they, they love <laughs> each other and they can play with each other. You're still at a stage where you're dealing with two separate human beings. I mean, good luck yes. to you. Yeah. My little girl rules the house. And so she's two. And so she, yeah, she'll make her, her brother cry. And it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, and you know, I'm not anywhere near that stage, so I cannot relate to this conversation. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. I've been quiet. <laughs> Maybe one day, man. Maybe one day. One day. There you go. Yeah. You know what, Chris? You know, just thinking about you, obviously have a passion for the game. You have a passion for you know these girls that you coach. You, you know, that purely would be enough motivation for anybody. But is there anything else that you kind of? wake up every single morning kind of thinking that really kind of jumps you out of bed and says, let's go. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like time's running out for all of us, isn't it? At mm -hmm. some point I'm going to die. And so <laughs> I got to make the most of this thing. And that that's ultimately my, my life philosophy is, 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 is revolves around dreaming, working, achieving, but ultimately if I was to do a spectrum of life and I'll do it in a small version here on the camera, if I can find it right on one mm -hmm. side of the spectrum, we have death on the other side, you have this optimal life experience as happy as you can be. And in the middle, you've got this, what I would term, realm of the average. 
And I used to think I could just live in this very happy experience all the time. But I realized after a while that everybody's just in this realm of the average. So we're all stuck in here. And the point of life is how many times can I get out of this bucket of average and do something amazing with my life before time runs out? Over and over and over again. And my job in this program is to teach people how to do amazing things. That's what I do. And I do mm -hmm. it very well. And so dreaming is what is it that you want to do with your life? Working is what we'll teach you here. And achieving is achieving things that you never thought you could possibly do. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I describe it to the players is you're playing in a game and you score a game-winning goal in the last minute. How does that feel? And they're like, oh, it feels amazing, Chris. It feels great. I'm like, yeah, when you go to bed at night, you're still thinking about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm even getting goosebumps thinking about it now. It's, it's an amazing moment, and I'm thinking about it. It was a big game. And then you wake up the next morning, and the feeling is faded. And you wake up two weeks later, and it's completely gone. It's gone. It's not material. You scored a goal in a game. You had a feeling. And I just want to help you recapture that feeling again. Because that's the way everything works. You'll graduate from college. You'll feel great. Now you have to go into the real world. You have to do it again. Now you got to get a job. And you got to work your way up through the job. right? And then you got to have a family. And then you got to raise your family correctly. And they've got to do it. So there's these milestones. And I just want to teach you how to hit them over and over and over again. So that when time runs out, you don't have any regrets. And that's mm -hmm. what gets me out of bed every morning is time is running out. Mm -hmm. I don't know when, but it's going to run out at some point. So I got to freaking go. <laughs> <laughs> so as a coach, Chris, um, are you one of those coaches where you're going to the, the locker room and you have a, a, a pep talk or are you just kind of what, what's your kind of philosophy kind of way that you coach? Yeah. Funny. I've gone through that progression so many times. I had one mentor who almost convinced me that, you shouldn't. This should be the player's game. And it should be, you know, you should go in there and tell them what they have to do, but they're the ones that have to be up for it and they have to do the job. And then, but then I watch Premier League stuff and I just watch all sorts of <laughs> Bundesliga stuff. And you see these coaches on the sideline and they're passionately involved in the game. Mm -hmm. I, I have to be myself when I coach. I can't hold back. And so in pregame, I've got to be myself too. I can be fiery. I can be angry. I can be happy. I could be whatever they need me to be. It's honestly whatever the psychology of the team has to be. There was one opponent who we played here who I happened to overhear part of what he was saying to his team. So I just went back into the locker room and I told them, this is what he's saying about you. Now we have to go stick it to them. We legitimately have to pound them now because of what mm -hmm. he was just saying about us. And so whatever they need is what they're going to get. But I've got to pay attention because I don't want to tip the balance in the wrong direction by getting us yeah. too jacked up as I have done previously or not fired up enough. And then I have to fix mm -hmm. it at half time by being angry about something. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what uh, kind of thing about the passion that bring to the game. Do you ever find yourself coming home and still kind of realizing you have the on switch? Yeah. <laughs> scaring your family? Yes. Yeah. My <laughs> wife says I don't have an inside voice. She's like, <laughs> settle down. And it takes speaking, me a while to ease off. Yeah. Speaking of your wife, you 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 met at one of your coaching stints, right? Yes, when I was at Bemidji State. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does she handle you know the life of a coach? Being a player, I obviously see there's a bunch of travel, invested time. I mean, coaches at the university, I'd be leaving the facilities at eight, nine o'clock at night, and coaches would work well into the night. You know, really trying to perfect mm -hmm. and and so passionately do this job right. You know how how does she kind of handle? all this yeah it's the same as in the program you've got to have clear communication <laughs> we mm -hmm. started dating she's like what are you going to do with your life one day i'm like i'm going to coach 
He's like, really? What else are you going to do with your life? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. That's it. <laughs> oh, okay. We shouldn't break up because we're never going to be together. You won't make any money. I'm like, no, trust me. I'm working as a GA now, making five grand a year. This is awesome. So <laughs> um, she just had to, yeah, I just explained it to her. I mean, this is the life that I want to live. And trust me, I can make it happen. And so she's been understanding from that moment of what I want to do and how it operates. And it's been clear in the communication. And she's had to experience it. And it's been painful at times of me having to be gone when we have young kids and not having a family support structure because her dad was in a different part of Minnesota. Her mother was too. And my parents are gone. And I, the other family I have in the States is in Connecticut. We had hardly any support. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of this all on our own. And it was painful for her and hard for her. But after a while, now that we're in sync and we have a rhythm going, she she didn't like COVID because COVID meant that I was home all the time. So mm -hmm. <laughs> she was like, when can you go out recruiting again? Because I like my time when you're gone. So yeah. Yeah. But film, yeah. now now that we've elevated the program to having GPS monitors and filming every training session, now I'm just up at all hours of the night cutting mm -hmm. down film and just getting excited about things. But that's just that's the lifestyle. But mm -hmm. when I come home, I have to switch off and try to be there for my kids until they go to sleep. Because if you add up the hours and the minutes of time that you're actually spending with your family, it's minuscule, to be honest, yeah. to the time I spend mm -hmm. with my team. So I need to be present at that moment. And when they fall asleep, then I can go back into work mode. Mm -hmm. Unless Aaron and I want to watch a show. But then at that point, watch the show. And then I go back to work <laughs> and stay up all night. Yeah. You and me. You and me. Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Doing this thing online gets a little difficult at times, you know, as opposed <laughs> yeah, to being in person. You know, one of the things that, you know, that... I was thinking about just kind of reading a little bit about your story, how you grew up, and it was just you into the into the age of nine before mm -hmm. your parents had you know another brother. So obviously you were alone for a lot of those early kind of years. How did that kind of really inspire you? Because time and time again, I had a conversation just the other day with a gentleman, and he says, "You know what? I've done some awesome things in my life. I was I played at a, to a top tier baseball school. I played uh, you know in in the." A professional baseball for a number of the years but still today my biggest dream was always to be a dad you know and he kind of explained a similar situation it was like being growing up it was just me by myself you know so growing up even though I had goals and dreams of pursuing you know professional things to enhance my life to be a dad was just one of the most beautiful things in my biggest dreams do you mm -hmm. feel like you've kind of fallen that same type of place yeah. I mean, you're uh, deep. You're, you're like hitting me hard here. So yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're clearly a philosopher of life here. Um, yeah, no, same, same thing. I identical thing. It's almost creepy the way that you explain that. Yeah. My, yeah. my whole life, I had my son's name picked out when I was like 12 years old. I've always mm -hmm. wanted to have a kid named Sebastian. So yeah. in the back of my mind, it's always been family. And that's the first piece that we sell here is all coaches will tell you that, oh, we have this great family environment in the team and it's, for me, it's personal. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a giant family growing up. So psychologically, I'm doing this because I have to provide this for other people because I didn't have it myself. So this isn't a, well, because the textbooks say that if you say you have a family culture, you'll recruit better players. It's this is, I have to give this to people. Mm -hmm. As I say to the recruits at the end of the day, it's one day I will die and I'll be at the pearly gates and St. Peter will say, you promised Adam this experience. You didn't give it to him. You're out. <laughs> so it must be given. It has to be. And that also means it's not perfect. As I've said, my kids fight all the time. My wife and I don't always disagree on things. But if the communication and the, the respect is right and the love is right, then you, you end up finding your way through it. So do we have bumpy times in this program? All the time. But at least 
Other programs, if they had those bumps, would fall apart. We don't because we work our way through it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, one thing that I, I thought is interesting is you have one other assistant coach under you mm-hmm. um, with the program. That, that's, you know, two coaches for a whole team. It is huge. You know, it, it's it, that's a lot of players to have per coach. How important is it to have uh, the right assistant coach under you kind of having the same values and, and since you can't be there every single moment. Yeah. Well, normally there's three. We were in a COVID hiring freeze. Okay. Absolutely. Again, you have a choice on how you want to respond to things. And so in our COVID hiring freeze, it was let's have a meltdown and cry about it. Or, hey, here's an idea. Let's post a volunteer assistant position nationwide. And we had a guy move out from Colorado and pay like $8,000 just to live here and learn from us. So we could find somebody. And then let's find some interns on campus who want to do all this GPS data stuff for us. So we actually had a better functioning coaching staff than we've ever had before, even though we were one position short, technically okay. on paper. But um, so you, you always have a choice of how you want to respond to things. But yeah, we're, we're about to announce the, the next hire. So we'll have two full-time assistants again, which is great. Awesome. We'll add the interns in again and all that stuff because I think it elevates the experience. But First and foremost, sell the values. Here's the issue. Every program is going to say, look at our facilities. Look at these cool uniforms. Do you like what you see? Here's the academics. Come to school here. Well, if it was me against Washington State in that example, they have better facilities. They have a wonderful campus. (laughs) They have very good academics, too, and they have nicer uniforms. So, And a better game day environment. So I'd lose every single one of those battles. However, we start with the values of the program and what we're trying to do for them as people. And then we go into that stuff. And they fall in love with the message and what we're trying to do. And that's what, that's what again, like that, that's what I'm trying to give people. And that's the difference between us and everybody else is this is the experience we're trying to provide you. Four years, you know, you, this will be, I believe will be your fourth year. Yeah. I believe the, the time that you've spent there, if you look at all the programs, I believe the women's soccer team has probably been the winningest, if not accomplishing the most, you know, titles and everything like that. What makes you guys successful? You've, you've done, you've hit the, the, the values and stuff like that. And how hard is it? And you've mentioned this to kind of keep up, keep going with that Mm. aspect of, of, of once you've got the titles, what do you do next? Yeah. Find the people. And it goes back to your previous question, sell the values. If the recruit likes it, they commit to it. I know, I know I have the right person. If you watch our NCAA job postings, the first thing that's out there as well is these are the values of the program. If you fit in this spectrum, apply for this job. And so I have the right people here. I always have the right people here. And if they're not right, they end up leaving the program, usually because they understand they can't survive here anymore. Or And then they're just replaced with somebody who can do it. Always find the right people. And the right people lead to the right results. Mm-hmm. Kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, thinking about all the places that you traveled before and that you've been to. And I have to ask, man, I'm a big foodie. I'm, I played offensive Ooh. line. Yeah. You know, I do nothing yeah. but eat, you know, and being Mexican too. Yeah. My mom throws down in the kitchen. Let's just say that. You know, <laughs> you've been kind of having that opportunity to travel a lot. Is there a place that you're like, man, this place is kicking, you know? Yeah. I, I love food. And I travel only for food. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, when I tell my wife, let's go visit this place, it's not because I want to see the sights. It's because I want to eat the food. I'm like, you'll love the pizza. That. It's amazing. My, the best pizza I've had in my life has been in Rome and in Italy and in Sicily. Oh. I just love going to Italy. 
Italian uh-huh. food is just so different and it's the quality of ingredients that go into it. But a unique thing that I think the, the food that really triggers me and does something for me is curry. I love Indian food. Mm. Really? Love, uh-huh. love a good curry. And there's a curry yeah. place in Seattle. I can't remember the name of it for some reason, but it's like right by the fields that I always go recruiting at. And I just go there and I get this yellow coconut curry at the end of the day. And it's the most amazing thing I've ever had. Yeah. Do you ever, yeah. uh, do you ever uh, cook, cook some at home yourself? No, I can't cook curries at all. I've tried it and they never taste the same. My wife is pretty close to doing a pretty good tikka masala now that she's been working on for a while, but Mm. it's not the same. I don't know what on earth it is, but in Australia, there's a very big um, Southeast Asian influence there and a lot of Mm. curries. And it's, I grew up eating a ton of it and it's just beautiful food. Yeah, I love curry food too. Like my wife yeah. cooks it a little bit, and I also love Thai food. Thai food is the bomb. Thai food dude. is amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, I, I gotta stick with Mexican food. I love, you know, I do have a passion for food. You know, curry yeah. is definitely up there. Um, kind of moving on the lines, just other cultures. You think of Spanish is going to be different than kind of the Mexican. Yes. Puerto Rican food is going to be different yeah. than Mexican food. You know, yeah. so. Just learning about some of those traditions for me, man. I don't know what it is about it. You know, I love watching YouTube videos of just yeah. chefs from different, you know, cultures and backgrounds mm-hmm. just kind of throw down. And I think it's truly yeah. incredible. I truly believe food is, you know, a place you could all commonly sit down and get 100%. to know another person. Yeah, you know, that's why we spend, I mean, you nailed it. We spend so much time in this program eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do. Mm-hmm. We specifically go to places where we can sit together and eat because that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me is let's bond over food no one's allowed mm. to have cell phones out you can't have cell phones when we eat and mm. it just becomes uh just sit there and talk to people food brings mm. people together yeah, some about breaking bread oh top chef's yep. one of my favorite shows and i just love learning about different cuisines and cultures yep. and, this and that yeah and what better way to do it than with food because uh-huh. food just allows you I, i don't know what it is it's got nothing to do with skin color or anything it's just Food. You make great food. I love you as a person. Can I live in your mm-hmm. country? This is great. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Right. Besides, uh, obviously, there's all this food talk and you being so passionate about soccer. Is there anything outside of that realm that you're kind of like a, a secretly passionate about? I don't know. Yeah. Learning. <laughs> I learning? mean, yeah, le- learning is a huge thing for me. That's why I read yeah. so much and try to educate myself on things. But food is another thing. If I could do anything else, I would have maybe just been a chef. Why not? I could pour my life and soul into that. And I feel like there's no, sometimes I feel like there's a door in things that I can't fully invest myself in because I just don't feel comfortable there. I don't know that much about food, but a ton of my family's in cooking and very good at it. And I just feel like I could fall into it and it would just click for me and it would be amazing. Maybe that's why I love it so much, but yeah. I'm you, have a favorite Polish, you have a favorite Polish dish? Yeah, I love pierogi. Pierogi okay. are amazing. What's um, that? Um, a dumpling with some potato filling really, or some bacon filling. It's just so it's, it's basic. Uh, if you look at Poland, it would always be in a country that is just not being full of affluent people. So mm-hmm. I would almost consider it a peasant food, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it so beautiful. It's so simple and it mm-hmm. tastes so it's the simplest ingredients made in just a heavy, delicious way. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you happy because for a long time, Everybody in Poland's being oppressed. And so their joy was through food. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to, at least I'm going to eat nice and feel happy when I'm eating. So you I feel that same, love in all the food. I feel the same way about tacos, man. There's something simple about it. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's so simple, but it tastes so good if you put yeah. the right sauce on it. It's amazing. Exactly. Uh, Got to have exactly. the guacamole, man. I'm a big guac man. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned it uh, earlier on your first year going to the Big Sky Tournament. You know, you guys were the fifth seed. You went in there and you guys took care of business, winning all three games in five days. Um, being the fifth seed, you had to uh, basically play a, a higher seed each time. And each one was a shutout. How, you know, going into that, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, with your program, you are always hitting the right stride at the end of the year. Was there something that you guys kind of were clicking and you kind of found midway through and you kind of built on that? And so it kind of, you know, that's not something that was so huge or, or so not yeah. being expected, or was this something that it, it, it clicked in the players your first year being there that, that everything just, it was a perfect storm. Yeah, I'd say almost a perfect storm. Um, they just had amazing players. I'm very lucky to have the players that I have here. Uh, they're very, very good at what they do, and they listen extremely well, and they can take instructions and apply things, and they buy into things quickly. But it was it was the pain of the non-conference season. We didn't win a single game. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I mean, we were supposed to take a trip to Hawaii, and we get to the airport, and we look at the monitors as we're waiting at our gate, and there's, oh, look, there's a hurricane hitting Hawaii right now. Well, that's a classic story for 2018. We're just not going to make it there. And everything, everything was like that. You play a game, you have a kid out injured. You play the next game, you have two kids out injured. Everything was falling apart at the seams. And it was at the end of that non-conference slate, I always do this thing where I have my seniors do speeches and I have the, gen the juniors, the sophomores, the freshmen do it too. And it just works with freshmen starting doing just, uh, hey, I'm, I'm in this program. This is a little bit about me. This is what I'm grateful for. And the seniors talk about what the program has meant to them by the end. But one of our sophomores at the time, Avery, who just graduated, said, listen, guys, I know this is hard. And this really sucks right now because we can't win a single game. But I love this. I love being here. And I love being with you guys every single day. And it's just, even though it's not working for us, I'm really enjoying it. And all of a sudden, everybody starts buying into this idea of it doesn't matter how much things are falling apart. We're, we're, we're loving the experience together. And if we just keep trying, it'll work out the way it's supposed to. And just keep going and just keep going and have faith in this process. And it clicked at the right time. You know, kind of thinking about what you just said right now, it reminds me of a quote. And, I, and I've repeated this a couple of times on the show. And I, it's a mantra I live by. Um, to be happy is a luxury, but to find what's meaningful is your responsibility. And mm -hmm. kind of just learning about you these past couple, you know, these past couple of weeks, learning a little, me actually getting to meet you. I think you found what's meaningful in your life, man. And I think it's man to man. I think it's inspiring to see, yeah. you know, you touch this many people and really inspire this many people to really kind of, you know, reach for the stars essentially, you know, and I think, yeah. so I really commend you for that, Chris. I really Thank appreciate you. that. And yeah. I think that's a really admirable thing, you know, that, uh, that a quality that you possess. And I, I'm really kind of excited to see where you take this program and I'm wishing nothing but, you know, kind of success as you follow. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited for it too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we got the right people coming in and we've had the right people here and it's just, just keep going. Yeah. Just wake up every day and be happy to be alive. Exactly. Are you exactly. a coach that's into like big slogans for like your season? Do you, you know, go off slogans or anything like that? Or do you have a slogan for next year? Or you just. 
usually no. This prior season, I sat down with the team and I just said, listen, the target on our back is massive. For the first time in 19 years, we've been a preseason favorite to win the conference. Everybody, there, there are stages that every team goes through. There's a stage we we like because we beat. Then there's the stage of, I hate them because they beat us. I hate them because they're good. And then comes the stage of, I respect them because they've won for so long. We're at the stage of nobody likes us right now. And that's great. That's awesome. I love having <laughs> the target on our back. And so I sat down with them and we had that discussion. And the, and the theme that they came up with was uh, GOT. So guard our time, guard our turf, guard our territory, and just and ultimately guard this team. And so yes, the, the values are always there. The purpose of the program is there. But they wanted to have this thing that they said before games. And I gave them the power to do that. What it is for this year, I don't know. You got to sit down with the team. You got to feel things out. You got to see what the energy is like. Do they even need one, or are they just on such a high that you just let them roll with it? I don't know yet. So we'll sit, we'll feel it out, and we'll figure it out. You know, with, with this program that you built, uh, with the culture, you know, culture is huge. You have talked about culture and, and with the, the family atmosphere, the values. Uh, culture is huge in building a program. Um, but also being motivated and being a coach is, is equally important, you know, with the, you having that culture pretty much in place and, and kind of tweaking it um, here and there every year, what is motivating you and what are some of the goals that you want to hit before, you know, your career is done? Yeah. Um, win as much as I possibly can but I want to do it in the right way. And that's what we say at the end of the, when we list our goals for the recruits at the end of the visit, it's we want to be the best program in the nation to play women's soccer. And then I follow that up by saying, I'm not delusional. I know I'm not going to show up tomorrow and beat Stanford with this team, but I can run a program in a way where people look at it and say, that's the place that I want to set my kid. Cause yeah. that's where she's going to have an amazing experience. They're going to make the runs in the NCAA tournament. She's going to be challenged as a human being. She's going to come out of it on the back end as a better person. And she's going to live the life that she wants to live because of it. So that's what I mean by it. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that and have hit us for it before of like, what are they talking about? They'll, they'll never be the best team in the country. No, you don't get it. That's not what I'm trying to say to you. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing things the right way. Um, and I want to prove that you can win at the highest level and you can make it all the way by doing it that way. So am I crazy enough to say that I'd love to be a national champion at some point? Of course I am. Yeah. Why else am I in this business? <laughs> right? But yeah. I want to do it in a way where everybody remembers it and says, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a different way to do things sometimes. So, you know, I, ha I have to bring up, you know, the loss the, to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys were, you know – you know, necessarily the underdog in that one playing the top rank or ranked opponent. I believe they're like 18th in the country. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, a, a close one, uh, one uh, loss. Did you take gratification in that or was it equally hard knowing that you were so close of pulling an upset that it was kind of hard for in that reason? A little bit of both, to be 100 percent honest. It was like first time I went to the tournament here. We got spanked handily, and it was deserved. And that one I was angry about. Not at the team or anything. I'm just angry that I'm not close enough to you yet to compete with you. Yeah. Um, as I'm starting again to figure out the boundaries of this place that I'm living in of NCAA Division One soccer and how it operates. And, okay, you want to be that far ahead of me? Fine. Now I know what I have to do to catch you. 
and it's taken years to recruit the right way, um, still have to evolve even more. I think you give us four to five more years, we can make deeper runs. But I understand how close we are now, which is why I was happy. But yeah, at the same time, I think it was a fair result. I think they deserved it. They created the better chances, and you, you got to be realistic. And we executed the game plan that I wanted, that I wanted, and it almost worked out for us. So, yeah, annoyed but happy. And plus, I know that the direction that we're moving in is good. So, yeah. Well, Chris, you know what? I think uh, we we picked your brain a lot today. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it was a uh, not necessarily an introduction for me, but I think it it was great to hear you speak to you know and your thoughts about the game and how you grew up and you know your passions and how you want to you know essentially raise these women and i just you know what i just really want to say that i appreciate your time and i think it's been truly inspiring for me you know i feel like i could run through yep. a door right now you know just with exactly. some of the stuff that we talked about today man so i just really exactly. want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you for taking the time to kind of join us today and just let us pick your brain a little bit yeah thank you i've really enjoyed it thanks guys yeah. It's been great. Yeah, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. And, and yeah, thank you for coming on again, Chris. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, All right Chris. Thanks. Take care, Bye. brother.